Hello, I'm Ian Cheeseman and welcome to the latest edition of the Forever Blue podcast. Um, as always, um, I have a stellar lineup of guests today, though, even better than normal, because uh, there will be three former City players joining me. Uh, we will have um, Mark Lillis, former Manchester City striker, lifelong blue. David White, who came through City's youth team and uh, went on to play not only many games for City and score many, many goals, but also play in the youth team, played for Leeds, went play for England and all sorts of other things. And Jim Whitley, along with his brother, Jeff, but it's Jim who joins us tonight. Uh, Jim played for City in the late 1990s. And, and I was a player I enjoyed watching these days. He's a singer and he's an artist and he's a man of many, many talents. Um, so before I in, talk to them in depth, um, I'd like to say a big thank you to charleslouis.co.uk, the sponsors of the podcast. They are chartered mortgage advisors. Uh, they deal with the whole transaction process when it comes to buying and selling houses. If you are in the process of buying or selling a house, whether it be for business purposes or whether it be privately, then I urge you to go and have a look at their website, which is, of course, charleslouis.co.uk. And you will find a phone number on there. You'll find details of what they do. You can follow them on Twitter as well. And you can see some of the properties that they're selling at the moment. Dave, who is the, the main man, as it were, at the company, is a big city fan. And I'm sure if you contact him and tell him that you heard about uh, the Forever Blue podcast, heard about his company, then he'll be even more delighted than he would normally be to help you out. So let's uh, meet our three guests then. Um, so one of the reasons why I've got this group of ex-players together today is because we're in an international break. So obviously there hasn't been a game just recently and there isn't a game over this weekend. So I thought it might be a good time to sort of reminisce really about the club as was and compare it to the club as is. So um, let, let's go through it. First of all, just to, for those who are younger fans who perhaps aren't as familiar, let me just get each one of, of my guests to do a quick upsum of their career. So Mark Lillis, tell anybody who would never, uh, apart from nearly scoring a hat-trick at Wembley the day after a derby match in the full members' <laughs> cup, what, just tell us briefly your story. What, why, what is your Manchester City story? Well, I didn't play international football, so I can say, I can say that. But no, I got released at Man City when I was 16. You signed uh, at 14 years of age for two years. Unfortunately, I didn't get an apprenticeship. I went trialling round all up the country. My dad was taking me, went Chester, Rochdale, Sheffield Wednesday, everywhere, Barnsley. And my last port of call, I was 16. I was going to get a job at Taylor Express in Manchester. I got a chance to go to Huddersfield Town for a, for a trial in them days. You, you know, you, you had a trial there. Uh, I was there for three weeks and then, good luck for me, I got uh, the chance of a, a one-year pro contract at 17. So I was 18 and then, uh, and then uh, I kicked on from there and left there and went back to Man City in 1985 and played there for the season. Only only fifty odd games, scored a few goals, and then moved on to uh, Derby Villa. Got promotions with them, and and then uh, went to Scunthorpe United as a player, and then um, Mac uh, sorry Stockport for a little bit, and then Macclesfield. You were coming down then when you started getting older. For some reason, your legs your legs won't, won't move as fast. But uh, no, and then I, I remember leaving uh, Stockport, driving back to uh, Lincolnshire. 
thinking, what am I going to do? I still me then what I'm going to do for the next 30 years. I need I need to be doing something. So I, I just took my badges, my coaching badges, and touch wood. Give it a, a few years. I've been in. I've stayed in the game, in the the old game, and then the modern day game with the academies coming into it and all that. So. At the moment, I'm I'm working it uh, in League Two at Scunthorpe United as an assistant manager to a lad called Neil Tox, uh, who used to play at Middlesbrough and Villa and Watford, uh, and that come up uh, out of the blue. Really, um, I, I was working in Presswich in a care home for the last nine months, ten months, driving the driving the van and doing a bit of portering work in there, and then the COVID kicked in. Which was uh, was horrendous in the care home. You, you, you're making relationships each day with people, and then the next day you go to the, the bedroom where they usually are. And you, you, I used to put my hand up and say morning. And you get a morning back, and the doors the doors closed. And when you know the doors closed, you know that's you know people have passed away in the night, which was tough. And I just got a phone call out of the blue uh, from from Coxie saying what was I doing? I said I'm working in a care home. I said I think that's me now. Football. I said what are you doing? So I just took the Scunny United job. You fancy coming as my number two? So it was like, do you know what? I didn't go, oh, yeah, that'll do it. We're back in. <clears throat> you know, an hour. It took me about an hour to uh, to answer him back. I got rung him back. Because one part of me was saying, do I go back in? One part of me was saying, no, I'll give it a miss. Anyway, I've gone back in and and uh, it's it's been going all right. We've we've had a couple of good results. We're half, about halfway in the league. So we'll see how it goes this season. Well, two things I would say there was that my dad was in a care home when COVID struck and uh, obviously I was no longer allowed to go in there. So I was relying on people like you to look after him. I saw him go over a mental cliff and he's passed away now, which was very hard to, to witness, really. So my hat goes off to you and my admiration goes off to you for doing that. Um, and obviously, I also know that you are a dyed-in-the-wool blue. Not only did you play for the club, which was your dream, but you are a fan. I've seen you at many, many games. I know your family um, were and are fans. So you are absolutely wear the badge with honour, Mark. What about you, Jim? Tell us yes. your, your synopsis, uh, your city story. Well, for those of who are, are too young to remember, just Google my brother, he was a better player, that's it. <laughs> well, I was, listen, I was lucky enough to play for this magnificent club. I, I, I um, at, at 15, my sister looked in the yellow pages and found uh, the youth scout at the time, it was Terry Farrell, rang up, asked if I, I was going to sign for shoes at the time, just rang up and he said we had trials the following week and I, I went and uh, I had a two-day trial and managed to play well in those two days and I signed up at 16 but at, at the time I think David White was there at the time I, I, I didn't do my white yes I went and did my A-levels and came in and signed pro 18 so I missed out on that bit but it took a while to settle in it was at the time when uh, a new manager would come in more or less every every year a new manager and they'd always look at the uh, the experienced uh, players so I got shifted back every time um, I, I didn't make my debut till I was 22 in the end I was lucky enough to, to hang around for that long I had a fantastic first season uh, played for Northern Ireland as well um, and injuries hit hit and it kind of went a bit downhill from there but um, I, I'm just I wasn't the best of players I have to admit but I, I beat a lot of other young lads who tried to play for any type of football and to play for a club like Manchester City was, was fantastic and, and an honour and something I I tell my kids, and I think as years go by, I'll become a better player. <laughs> I'll keep can I, telling can I just them I'm going to say something, Jim. 
I just yeah. want to say something here, and I can see David will probably agree with me the way he was <laughs> looking at you and thinking you're being too humble here. Um, <laughs> don't tell Jeff this, Jeff Whitley being your brother, of course, but I actually thought you were the better player, even though he played more games. More <laughs> Well, he was, yeah, he did play more games. He made his debut earlier. And yes, I, I, I like to do a bit more on the ball. I think I, I'd, I'd love to play in today's game, to be honest with you. There's loads of options. There's times when I used to look up and everyone's hiding. <laughs> you know, it, um, but I, I listen, I love I loved the game. And yeah, injuries and whatever else you have to look at as time goes by is, is part and parcel of the game. But uh, yeah, I'm lucky enough to have, have played for the club. David, I mean, again, there will be some people, I can't believe there would be people who don't know who David White is, but for those who don't know who David White is, give us a brief up some of your time at City. Um, I, I, I went City as a 10-year-old kid um, through the sort of nursery teams and um, associate schoolboy at 14. Um, I think I made my reserve team debut. I think I was, I was well, certainly still at school. There's a story about that. Um, and, and we we had a great youth youth cup team in um, in '86 under Tony Buck and um, Glyn Pardo. God bless his soul. Um, and then played. I think I played. I don't know. Did I play about 300 games? I think scored 96 goals, which is the biggest regret of my life. To to how on earth I, I I just didn't hang on in there and mind you it probably took me another four years to score those last four to be honest with you the other way I was playing um, moved on to uh, Leeds United Sheffield United and, and succumbed to uh, an ankle injury at, at about 30 now I know that we're recording this on Zoom for the purposes of people who are listening to this as a podcast. But what it means is that I can say to the three of you, you know, if at any point you want to chip in and talk, don't wait for me to invite you. Or if you just, just put your hand up, because I can see that, obviously. But my question to all three of you really is, you know, when you look back at your memory of the club, I've been a fan. I've been on the outside and I've I've seen the Peter Swales era. I've seen Francis Lee come in as the owner. I've seen Saxon Shinawatra, David Bernstein, John Wardle, and now the Sheikh. I've seen players in their hundreds come and go. I've seen managers in their tens come and go. It's not quite hundred, I don't think, yeah. I've seen so many changes. We've seen the club move from Main Road to this fantastic new stadium at the Etihad Stadium. But I've never been a player. I have no insight into what it was like behind the scenes. What was it like when you were players? What was what was a day like? Was it a professional club? I mean, uh, you know, you, you, it'll be tr- very much different now what it was back then. But what was it, was it like in your experience? What, what insights can you give us? Um, yeah. On, David. Yeah. Go on, uh- what I would like to say before I um, I forget to say it or, or, or don't get to say it, I think um, obviously Mark was older than, than uh, I, um, Jim Younger, and, and that sort of transition between uh, eras of players is really important. And and Mark, um, and I've said this before, and I hope you've heard it or read it, um, the likes of Mark Lillis and Paul Power, um, Dave Phillips, a time when Peter Swales, um, we won the we won the youth cup in '86, and I think Peter Swales just assumed that 
we would go on and keep the team in, in the in the old first division as it was then, um, which we sadly weren't able to do. But I think um, we, we lost people like Paul Power and Mark and, and Dave Phillips, who, who were, and, and I would say um, particularly Mark, was so supportive to to we we were just, we were just kids we we were you know we were the best crop of young kids in the country we, we won the FA Youth Cup but that's a million miles away from being being able to step out on main road at three o'clock on a Saturday and and um, and do the business and and the sport from a, a Monday to Saturday from a, a a season pro like Mark was so so important to us and I I, I always say that I think the reason we got relegated um, in 87, Ian. Uh, we got relegated at West Ham. We, we'd, we'd lost these, these senior players, the, the, the real senior players of, of great influence. But not just great influence, just really supportive players, people who'd put their arm around us and, and, and help us and support us. So um, I, I hope that the players that came behind me would would say even a fraction of, of the the good things that I would say about uh, the, the likes of Mark and, and Paul and, and Dave Phillips. So that was a really really important um, piece of the club at that time. I think um, football is massively different now. Mark will know a lot more than I do. Probably both of the other guys know a lot more than I do uh, about how the how the game is now. But uh, it, it was certainly um, an awful lot different. But I I, I will forever. Um, thank Mark and and Paul and Dave Phillips and Neil McNabb and all all those guys for helping helping us guys to come through something that uh, was too much for us really as a, as a group of players. Cheers, cheers, Whitey mate. Can I just say a few words here, cheesy? Yeah, go on. Sorry, when I come to, when I come to the club and I signed for the club, it was the best. It was the best day of my life. It was the best. But one of the one of the biggest buzzes I got, obviously scored on my debut, was actually watching and doing it. I think I did a talk to the, the the youth cup winning team, and I watched both legs at Stafford and at Main Road. And I remember them young lads when I was looking at them. I would have been twenty six then, and, and some of them would have been what, 17, 18, or whatever. That group of guys was so fantastic, and they were all together. And for Whitey to say that, you know, and he remembers me and Phillips, David Phillips, and Paul Power. I remember playing at the Manchester Derby at Old Trafford. It was 2-2. We got we were 2-0 down. It went to 2-2. With a minute to go, I ended up playing centre-half because Kenny Clements got carried off. I played centre-half and uh, we got a corner with about a minute to go. And I thought, I'm going up the set for and getting the winner. I was just about to set off and Paul Powell grabbed me by the throat and he went, where are you going? He went, there, get the winner. He went, get back here. We've got to point you with you. So I... <laughs> Just walked back like, and then the whistle went, and I was gutted. I didn't get my chance to get the winner against them. But why are you, you've done see your goals that you scored. I didn't see all the ninety odd goals you scored, but how good you was on the ball as a dribbler, fast winger. They, they don't seem in the game much now. You know, when they come into the academies, I was academy manager for five years at Huddersfield. We had a little lad in, in that was playing, lad called Dwayne Dwayne Holmes. He's at Derby now, and he's just gone back to Huddersfield. He was a dribbler and they were going to get rid of him when just before I went in. I said, No, leave him. He's a dribbler. There's not there's no dribblers. They can't. Yeah, but he gives the ball away too much. I said, yeah, but he dribbles and he crosses well. And he's only 14 years of age. Give him mm. a 
Do you know what I mean? So, but cheers for that, Whitey, mate. It's, I really say that. No, it's, it's always been um, much appreciated. The, the um, it's a it's a probably even maybe maybe not as much as it was now because of all, all the issues. I think uh, we were just discussing before we we came on air that um, it's it's a, a game where you've got to grow up very very quickly um, and 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 getting that balance between encouragement and um, um, being over the top is really difficult. In any other walk of life, you get to the, you, you know, the top of your profession, you're going to be probably 40. If you get there when you're 45, you've done really well in football. You need to do that in your early 20s. And that means growing up very, very quickly. Um, and And that's... You know, we, we had, uh, as I mentioned before, Tony Buck and Glyn Pardo. And Tony was um, sort of, the I think, maybe the stereotypical um, armed forces army type. That's kind of the, the way he was. And then you had Glyn, who was there to put his arm around you. Um, but to have senior players who just showed an interest, um, but more importantly, were, were there... To, to really help you uh, is is massively important, and ju- just the buzz that got, that gives you as a particularly as a, a massive city fan as I was um, to to suddenly, I mean eight, 80, Well, I was there seventy six at Wembley. I was there eighty one at Wembley, um, and then suddenly eighty six, eighty seven. You're within touching. Well, in eighty six, you're in touching distance of the first team, and to have. The senior players putting their arm around you and, and encouraging you, um, and creating a balance between maybe anything negative you're getting, and, and you need to get negative stuff from the coaches um, to help you to to move forward um, was was so important to me, and, and I will I will never ever forget it. One of the things I've always been amazed about in football, because you, which you've just highlighted there, David, is how the um, expectation on a young person, and this may well affect young females now playing in the female game, but certainly in your eras, it was all about the men's game. That suddenly, you know, you can be earning a lot of money, you can be signing autographs every five minutes, you can be being stopped in the street, um, you can be written about in the newspapers, and all this sort of thing. And that must be very, very difficult to come to terms with. Now, in the modern game, I'm assuming that behind the the walls of the academy that I don't get to perhaps see these days. There is a, a bigger support network there. But I do wonder when I look at some a player like Michael Johnson, who I was a really big fan of as a young player when he came through, uh, and he, he he seemed to struggle with it all. And uh, thankfully now it sounds like he's back on track again. But he had very much difficulties. Uh, Jim, from your perspective, as we've not heard from you yet, I mean, what is it like as a young man to suddenly be thrust into that spotlight? And did you get, when you were young, support from from the football club or were you left to senior players to help you? Well, I, I just wanted to reiterate what the two guys had said before. I was, my first coach was Colin Bell. So I, I, one of the greats, I also got coached by Glyn Pardo, Tony Buck as well, Asa Hartford fantastic coaches uh they were white mark they they set the bar really and i come in an era where we 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 got relegated and relegated again we were getting caned by the fans quite quite continuously and it became you know united were on another level to what 
Man City were at the time, and it, it almost became to it became almost like almost I don't know like a pub team where thirty odd thousand people would still turn up because it was like a family run thing. You they'd have a go at you, but they'd still turn up the following week to watch you. And this is what happened. I remember, I remember. I don't know if you remember this, cheesy, but we got to the point where fans were giving us a bit of stick that. But we used to have to train in a, in a school around the corner from Main Road. We'd get a minibus there. We'd train at the school with the little uh, tennis balls and mini indoor balls, then get a minibus back and uh, not to see any of the fans. I, I then enter the pitch and, and go on and play a game because just to take a bit of pressure off us. Um, but that was, listen, it was all part and parcel of it. And these boys here had set the bar and, you know, we, we'd lost it down a bit, but uh, and it, it's on a different level right now. But I do remember coming through and seeing some of the big boys here and, and <sighs> pretty much funny enough, uh, one of the things I, I remember the senior players saying to me is, if, if, if you don't drink, you're not going to make it. That was one of the biggest things I heard. But that was, that, was from my, that was from the peers. You'd never hear that now from the Man City players now. You know, if you don't drink, you ain't going to make it. But that was just the era it was in. And I remember, you know, Asa Hartford even used to tell me that before they used to go out, and I don't know if you, this is the case for you guys, but they used to have, what, what was it, a, a little bottle of team spirit that used to get passed around. And they'd all have a bit of this team spirit. And it could be anything from a little brandy to a whiskey. And they'd all have team spirit they pass it around and you know things have changed massively from those days and um I, I i i remember making my debut for manchester city and almost overnight um people would come talk to me it was, it was ridiculous it was ridiculous and that was just because i was in a paper now with social media and everything else you're instantly in in, in, the, in the limelight and it's very it must be very very tough for professional players right now in the game to I uh, keep a, a straight head and, and, and play professional football because when I played and when these boys played, whatever was in the newspapers, that was fish and chip paper. You know, that was it, done. You never saw it again. And you can get on with your football. Uh, whereas now it's there to repeat, repeat, and watch again and watch again and see what things are happening. But uh, it's very tough as a young person to come through. Uh, I still like the old uh, way of A, B teams and reserves before you make it through. And I remember White in particular, you know, to get close to the first team was or to even grace the, the, the dressing room to see the players was always a bit like, oh, there's, there's Whitey or there's Quinny, or, you know. And it was just a buzz. And then eventually to make it through there, it was, it was a fantastic thing. It's, it's different now. And I, I'm not sure if they've got the same kind of hunger as we did growing up. But um, so many things I have to deal with young players now. It's very, very tough. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say that your Jeff obviously struggled a little bit, didn't he? And uh, I mean, I remember, and I've said this to him, so I'm not talking behind his back, that I'd, I hosted a forum or a junior blues meeting. I think it was it was one of the two anyway. And he turned up and, and I could smell the alcohol on his breath and, and his eyes were bloodshot. And I remember him sort of saying to me, I'm pretty sure it was at the Junior Blues because his words were something like, uh, you know, go easy on me today because I'm not sure I can cope with this particularly well. And I think I whispered back to him, the kids won't give you an easy time, Jeff. You won't get away with it here. But uh, I mean, you know, I'm laughing about it, but he he struggled a bit, didn't he? And he, he yeah, knows, that, I've talked yeah, to him. he would have, he, he would have, he would have just been an all-nighter then and turned straight up to the uh, Junior Blues. That would have been part and parcel of, uh, I, I, unfortunately, 
got into the first team at some point, the the, the nightlife was ended up being more important at times than than, than, than playing first team football, which is, is sad to see. And even when I went and played for Northern Ireland, my lord, that was it's one of the biggest drinking squads I've ever seen. Um, and it was just what was going around at the time. And uh, it's a different mentality now and a different way of thinking. But Jeff and part of that, being young, coming into the game, earning money and uh, not just not just fans coming and talking to you girls, whatever else that would be part and parcel of it. But um, it, it, it was very tough for my brother. And, uh, you know, now he's, he's working for the PFA, looking after anyone who's got kind of problems with addiction, not just on drink, not just on drink. It could be a gaming, could be anything like that, gambling, anything. So uh, people think it's just about the drink, but there's a hell of a lot more to it now. And, and even just scrolling Instagram continuously or Twitter, come off it. That's part of parcel of, of being a, a, an addict. And, and he's there to help people now because he's been there and done it. Did you ever have any problems, Mark, when you first came through? Oh, at Huddersfield or at City? Anywhere, really. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's that fame, that sudden fame when you're a, a young man, isn't it? No, I, th- I think, think it helped me at City not getting a contract when I was 16. I think that made me more tougher. So to go around trialling at clubs, six or seven clubs, you go around and, and, and each is a, we're going to take you, but we nearly did. And, and I remember coming back with my dad because my dad drove me all over the place to, to get trials and thinking, I think this will be my last chance. And uh, I was going to get a job, I think I told you, with Daily Express. But I got a chance at Huddersfield for, to go on trial. And uh, fortunately, Mick Buxton, who was become the manager, like me, I was I was on trial and uh, 17, I signed a one-year pro deal. And then at 18, I signed a, a two-year and then I was up and running there. But uh, I think going back to Man City, when I did, um, was the best day of my life, you know. And, and I think that made me a better, better person because you've been released from somewhere. But then, you know, what would it have been nine years later, you go back there, so you want to show people that, you know, I could have played, you know, I could have maybe made my debut for Man City like why you did at a dead early age. But that's that's life. And sometimes, you know, in life, when people say you shouldn't look back at your career, sometimes in life I, I can look back at my career and that if I'm not feeling too good, I can look back at my career, my career and say, did I actually do that? Did I play at Old Trafford? Did I play at Wendell the next day and nearly score a hat-trick? Because we rarely, rarely as guys really, you know, Pat ourselves on the back, you know, but I don't think we've ever done that, you know. Why, how many goals did you score when you beat Huddersfield? Was it 10, 10 1 or something? Uh, three. Yeah, it's today. <laughs> you know, it's what I remember back when. 88 minutes, I think, but. There we well, go. That, that, you know, that's it. That's, that, that's, that's what it is, you know, sometimes life. It's a journey, isn't it? It's, we don't yeah. know when we're with that, with that early age at, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, where the journey's going to take us. So it's been tough. And tough on you guys as well. I've, I've, been, I've been following that. Obviously, what um, Mark's referring to is, is, is um, the, the issues that David had before and even during his, his career in life, which, um, which you, know, you and I, David, have talked about before. But you had that in the background somewhere, the abuse that you'd suffered, and and you also had to deal with suddenly being elevated as a young man to being famous and recognised. Boy, had you a lot on your plate. Uh, uh, have you come through it all? Um, 
I don't know. It, it, I think it's it's just what it is. Um, it's it's been a tough couple of weeks. In in some ways, the last four or five years um, has has made has been the toughest part. You know, I you know I said to you before um, that it's a weird thing where the I, I all I wanted to do as, as a kid was play for Man City. All I wanted to do, and um, the day. I can vividly remember, uh, and I know exactly where it was, and it's only a, a mile or two from where I'm, where I'm sat now. Uh, the the day I found out that I, I was that Man City, a Man City nursery team wanted me to go and play for them, um, and it and that that is still one of the best memories of my life, and it, it, you know, despite whatever happened, it. Because that that was Man City, and I'm able to sort of de- de- detach that from what then went on. Um, and you know, the obviously the documentary's been on this week, and uh, football was was um, just uh, a you know a, a breeding ground for predatory people, unfortunately. And we we had in. Barry Bennell and Bob Higgins and George Ormond and Eddie Heath and Frank Roper, people who um, just took advantage. Uh, and, and this was this was in a an era uh, where the, we, we had no sophistication in child protection. We had we 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 were just go back. This is forty years ago. Go more than 40 years ago, go back and we, we're just unsophisticated um, as a country. We don't know enough. Um, and the, these individuals were, were able to prey on vulnerable, vulnerable people, vulnerable because we're kids, more vulnerable because we, um, as kids and as parents, and and, uh, and you know, you knew me dad well, Ian, um, strong guy you know um uh, and and these these people and in particular um Benel, were just able to exploit that weakness of of wanting to be a footballer for man city so so much and that was that was my vulnerability that was my dad's vulnerability so the you know and then you've got a, a grooming process with my dad that lasts um not a long time, but you know, maybe a few months, and then suddenly, um, I'm in Mallorca with it with this guy as as um, an an 11 year old kid. Um, you, you know, we, we'd like to think that these things wouldn't happen now. That we and we we definitely have that. I don't think we should take from what we've seen this week in terms of the Sheldon report last week and the documentary that. These things are still, you know, happening um, regularly. They, they're not, you know, the controls uh, within the FA, are, you know, well, they, they were they were non-existent. They they are now, they're now there. Um, but as as parents, uh, we we should never be. Um, we can't stand on our laurels. We 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 must always always know. That these people will always be about. They will always be looking for for avenues. Um, in terms of me, you know, as an individual, people would always say to me, 
like that all, that all happened to you and you still did this you still played this many games for city you played you scored this many goals you you played for england did all of those things um you must be so strong i you know i, I felt so weak uh, as a when I was doing all of those things, I felt so so weak as a as an individual and and, and as a person. But at the same time, and, and you know, I I I saw this. I, I know all these lads, and I've I've met with most of them personally. And um, in many ways, I, I I consider myself lucky because um, the abuse that some of these guys suffered was horrendous uh, you know and, and sustained over a long period of time you, you know years and and the 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 level and seriousness of the abuse was was so bad and so much worse and 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 the um the coercion and and the and, and i think it in, in many in many ways the the fact that the perpetrators um Made these guys guys feel complicit, and and they're the really difficult things to to deal with. We the daft thing is that, and in many ways, if we're saying that you you just don't know, you know it happened, you haven't got a clue what what the effect what the effect has been, um, and it and I and you know so I I and I often think and I said. I said to my wife, I'm a bit early on today, funnily enough, I, you know, I said, there's, a, there's millions, billions of, billions probably, millions of kids who I'd happily, I, I wouldn't want to swap places with. Kids who suffer neglect at home, other other types of abuse that, that might, might not be as... Um, I don't know. Considered, there's, there's many types of types of abuse. You know, be it neglect, be it bullying, be it physical, be it um, sexual, be it emotional abuse. There's there's an awful lot of, you know, this is something that um, we we can't just look at just in terms of childhood sexual abuse. There is um, millions of kids, millions of people throughout the world that have gone through an awful lot worse than I went through and I came through it and I, you know today as a 53 year old guy I feel okay um, and that's that's important I think it's you know I'm so pleased with the documentary uh, I I only I only wanted to take part in something that I thought I felt was going to be really meaningful um, I knew Dan Gordon the um the director was going to do a real good job and he, and he absolutely did that. Well, all I can say is that I'm, I'm glad that you know the side of all this now and obviously we've, you know, I'm, I'm, I know what Paul Stewart's been going through and other people as well and, um, you know, nobody listening to this will not have a lot of empathy towards you, I'm sure, and I'm sure I'll speak for Jim and Mark as well that, you know, we're with you, David, and we're glad that you, you know, you're the other side of it. And, you know, and you, as you said, there are millions of people probably who are, you know, going through terrible things that we never know about. So, you know, Absolutely. And, and, and particularly at the moment with this pandemic and everything, I'm particularly concerned about mental health, people's mental health, good mental health. I've had ups and downs. 
I've lost people and uh, and I know it's been a tough time. So uh, let's let's all pull together and help each other as much as we can. And the one good thing is that as a as fans, as ex-players in your cases as well, of a football club, we have a sense of community about us. I mean, I've always said that City fans are are a family, an extended family. I mean, during this lockdown period, for example, I've got to know people over over Zoom and over distance who I've probably never even met, you know, may never even meet, who are City fans who, uh, you know, reach out and, and talk to you. And, and it is very supportive, I think. And, and on that basis as well, I think the club, you know, these days, the modern club does a lot to try to reach out to, to the community through City in the community. And I think it does a lot uh, in terms of the way it tries to bring people together and, and has a massive reach. I mean, maybe that's the, the, the way that we can come towards the end of this podcast, which is to ask you what you think of the modern club. I mean, very different than the club that you three played for. Um, uh, obviously, it's a far more ambitious world worldwide club now. You're still a fan, Mark, and all that. I've seen you at plenty of games. Um, what do you what do you think of the modern Manchester City? Is it is it everything you dreamed of? Well, I think I dreamed of making my debut for Man City and, and pulling that shirt on. You know that was that was you know seeing my mum and my dad and me auntie and uncles at the game like that that's that sticks out in in, in my mind. But no, I've I'd, I'd been in, obviously in academies. I've been at Huddersfield with our academy when the uh, you know the Premier League brought the new the new rules in. Um, but really looked after. They get support. They get to coaches who are there, and um, you know I think it's good. It's good for the club that we're getting hopefully a pathway where players, Manchester lads, can go and play in the team. Obviously, like Phil's doing at the moment, folding. He's tearing it up. And you've got lads who are getting an opportunity and you want that from the academy and City are leading that with the pathway that they're offering for uh, for players. And uh, it's true because they are playing. They are playing for us. But uh, no, it's the game's changed so much. I could go on for, for hours and hours about, you know, how, how it's changed with all the different different things that coaches have to do now. Um, you know, when I was coaching and when I got coached by good people, good coaches... You know, they came to so quite basic and simple about football, you know, but the modern day it's changed a little bit. You know, a lot of the, the lads are watching their clips on a Monday morning after the, the Saturday game, going through with the analysts, spending an hour or two with them, going through the best clips, the ones that they can work on. So, yeah, it has changed, but uh, it's nice that, uh, you know, I've stuck in, stuck in and around it because it can be, can be, it can be tough, as, as we know what David just said. It can be tough, but you know it's, you know, touch wood. I'm still in. I'm 61 now, and um, still, still in the dugout. You know, uh, working with players on a daily basis, and I feel like I'm a, you know, I've got like 40 odd lads now who, who are my sons because you know I, I'm, I really when I coach, I want to make them better players if I can, and just pass on. I never speak about my career. I want to get a trust and respect with them, and they can trust and respect me. And just treat him like you're his son, and you want his a father. Well, now it's a granddad because I'm 61. So, saying, all right, granddad. So, yeah, not bad. But I can't run anymore. I can't. I can do. I can maybe jog, but I can't. My legs. They won't work. My brain's telling me legs, and they're going no chance. You'll have to do the work. So, uh, no, it's uh, it's been a journey. We'll see how long it takes. I jump out of it. 
Whereas Jim Whitley looks fitter now than when he played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doing a bit now. And you know what? I'm just listening to Mark. And, uh, and yes, the game's changed immensely now for Manchester City right now. Um, but for me, looking back, this, there's, there's one simple thing for me and, and there's one thread that's gone throughout from when I played and when the other boys played. And, and the, the fans just want you to do your best. That's, that's just, it's as simple as that. Give 100%. And they will take it whether you played well or not. And it's something that I used to do when I used to play. Give 100%. It's something that Colin Bell used to instill in me and, and, and all the other players. And it's, it's a very simple thing. Fans, I tell you what, there's times I could give the ball away and win it back. They'd love you. <laughs> They'd love you. They'd just, you've won the ball back. And that thread for me, and I've seen many interviews with Pep and I've seen many things that Pep does. And one thing he always says is you'll, you'll miss the target. You'll do this, you'll do that. But you have to give 100%. You have to work hard. Yes, they do tippy-tappy football, things that we didn't used to do, but that one thread, work hard, 100%. The fans, the fans will take you in all day long. It's, it's really, it sounds too simple, but the fans will take you in if you give them percent. And it's the one thread for me that's gone that's throughout all, all the ages from us here playing through. If you give 100%, the fans will have you back all day long. How do you feel about the game changing? I mean, I saw Andy Morrison put up... Um, a little video on his Twitter the other day and about how he used to be able to tackle, you know, yes. that yeah. half the tackles these days would be red cards. And I thought, yeah, yeah I mean, the game has massively changed. Would you rather, and, and I suppose this could be it to any of the three of you, you know, would you rather be playing in the era you played where somebody would crunch in behind you, Mark or David, or, you know, in midfield, you were up against sort of hard men. Did you did you relish that, or would you rather be in this almost contactless football that we see now, which which is like watching a game? It's like watching a computer game sometimes, isn't it? I think um, I I always talk about uh, people always say to say to all of us, who's your most difficult opponent, and I, I always say Stuart Pearce. Um, do we ever think Stuart Pearce fouled me? Probably not, but I probably ended up on my backside 15, 20 times every game. Just just hard, fair challenges that probably now would would probably warrant not warrant, but would probably get a get a yellow card. Uh, I think I think we will all say um, we love playing football in the era we did. Some of the things um, in in terms of what was there available for us, match preparation, pre-match meals, um, are a million miles away from from what what they are now. Um, but, you know, as they, as they were for the likes of um, Colin Bell, uh, 15 years uh, before me, you know, they, you know thing, things develop. And all you can ever say is, if, if those improvements in facilities and were available to me, you know, you, you'd like to think that you were dedicated enough to the your career to be able to enhance your career and 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 be a be a better player. Um the, the game will always move on. I think in terms of the club, um football wise, we've clearly got oh just lost David there. Perhaps he'll come back in a second. Um, but what about you, Jim? I mean, do you feel that football as it was when it was 
more physical was more enjoyable or do you prefer um, it as it is now listen there's, there's a lot of things that evolve um just like us now with our phones the zoom everything things evolve you know everyone's up in arms when we move from main road but things move on and 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 football's moving on with the ar and everything not to everyone's liking one thing it really knocks me at the moment is football is a contact sport always has been it's a contact sport and the 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 contact in the game at the moment is getting such that it's it's you might as well call it futsal and go watch futsal because it, I played I played a bit of futsal and I remember the ref coming and saying two things he said you you can't tackle and you can't hold anyone I said well I, I'm I'm finished I can't I can't do anything you can't hold you can't tackle that's what and uh, and for me that was it was a way of getting one up on someone you know you have to give them a little something to let you know you're there. It's part and parcel of the game. And uh, and for me, football's losing that edge. I, I don't want it to lose that edge. Yes, VR can come into it, but the whole day, it's a contact sport. I, I, I talk to kids now and talk about how you can grab someone, pull them, put, use your body, move your arms. It's it's just part and parcel of the game. And I, I don't want that to come out of the game because, yes, you're just watching almost nothingness at times. And, and and yes, we had X-rated tackles that went in. Yes, some 50-50s where you, you close your eyes and you hope for the best. And uh, yes, some of those could have been taken out. But um, it's just what it's just part of the game. And it, you, it, it made you as a player. Some players didn't make it because they couldn't handle the physicalities of football. And some would, you know, they'd slip out of the game, regardless how skillful they were, because someone else could dominate them. And especially in midfield, you could go in and, and dominate someone who was far more skillful than you. Um, but I, I, that's the only thing I wouldn't like to do, come out of the game. And, and sadly, little tiny touches are, are, are embarrassing for me. And I did see the Andy Morrison one with the tackles, and I, I agreed with him totally. I don't know about you, Mark. No, I think it, yeah, it has changed now, you know, we we tend to do a lot on the sidelines of don't foul him, don't foul him because you're know, going down the leagues because you touch him in the back and people go down, you know, and you're thinking he's that good. When when I played, when I played, when when maybe Dev was at 18 um, at Newport County, there's I don't, forgot his name now, but he smashed me early doors and it was just testing me out. So I could have just gone and but I went up against him and I smashed him. And then it, <laughs> that was the way you learn you learn the game and you know. Because they used to say, you know, can he handle a tackle? Because he's good at tackling, and you know, and that was that was the football then. But now, like you say, they, they just you know touch and they're down, you know. And then in our day, if we would have gone down like that, we would have got slaughtered off the exactly the, the away fans, you know, for going down. It's sometimes it can be embarrassing. I wonder what's going through the player's mind, thinking, "Why have I done that?" But it might be part of getting free kicks in and around them areas where. They go through it with the analysts, so it has changed, definitely, yeah. You think, uh, maybe this is a red herring, but you think the fact that we've watched the season behind closed doors has made it even less of a contact sport at the elite level, or do you think it was just going in that direction and it wouldn't make any difference? Because I do wonder sometimes whether if there were crowds in games and they were putting pressure on players and referees and whatnot, whether it would, a little bit more physicality would be allowed. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I do. I, I, I hear yes, uh, Ian, and and particularly derbies for me that I've watched. The derbies at times, I think the fans would have helped massively in getting a tackle in and and putting it in. And but sadly, I think with VARs going and everything else, it, it has come to the point where we're analysing every little every little detail. I mean, part and parcel of football was, you know, referees' decision. You you talked about it in the pub. You, this is 
it's just it's just part and parcel of football. What about the ref? He missed that. He missed that. And it was, you know, you, you had a bit of fun with it. Now with VAR, now we're talking about split hairs where your nose was just twinged over the line, and it, it's like we shouldn't really be talking about that now. We've, we've got slow mo. We've got video. It should be a, a cut through decision, and and it's not. It's getting more and more difficult. It's more and more difficult for refs and everyone else to imply the rules of football and in what is now the modern game. Um, and so uh, with the without fans, I, I'm not sure. Only the next couple of years, uh, touch wood, COVID disappears and we can get fans back into the stadiums to get the atmosphere back in. Um, only time will tell, but I just, I just hope the, uh, the contact, like Mark, Mark said, if some of the lads that are going down, if they, if they did that in the middle of the park, the, the fans would have a go at you. You know, if you just went down like a sack, just, just, just because someone's touched you, it's embarrassing. And yet, like, like Mark said, I, there's times I had it where somebody just walked back, little elbow to the, just to the, just, just to, just to rile you to go. And I, yeah, I did chase him for a while thinking I'm going to have him back, but it was, but someone has stood you on, they'd run past you and stick some studs on your toes and you're like, ah, and it, it was just a way of trying to get you on. And, 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 uh, unless I don't want to go back to the arcade times, but football's football, put a shoulder challenge in, put a tackle in if you can without, and, 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 let's get the game going again but we'll see in the next we'll talk about this again Jeezy in another two or three years and we'll see what's happened to the game absolutely let me ask you the the final question then which is I suppose the big one from a contemporary city perspective uh, when football resumes again it's uh, Leicester City followed by the first leg of the quarter final of the Champions League there's a League Cup final there's an FA Cup semi-final it's going to be big game after big game and everybody's talking about the quadruple. Some City fans don't want to mention it, don't want me to ask about it. Others say, why not? You know, we're never in a better chance to win it. So I wonder where you two fellas feel about all this. I mean, would you rather not talk about it? Do you feel optimistic? Is it inevitable? Is it can't possibly happen? Mark, go on, kick us off. Where are you on the quadruple? You just nailed that. We like that, aren't we, City fans? Just going, oh, don't worry about the quadruple. Let's just win the league. And then... Two weeks down the line, you get a phone call. Do you think we're going to do the quad? Ah, we might do now. We're looking better. But I think um, the quadruple, <laughs> and I think we've got the squad. I think we've got our squad now where, and it's like Pep said, it's about the team. It's about how our, everyone works the same. Everyone's working hard. And if we can keep going like we're doing, who knows? I'm sitting on the fence here, but who knows? Because <laughs> we're City fan and uh, sometimes, you know, I watch it, I... My wife always knows she when she's upstairs watching TV that the City are playing downstairs, by the way, I shout when we score. Or if we let a goal in, I, I come up and sit down and sulk, you know? But no, uh, if we can do it, fantastic. And and, and what, what an incentive for players, obviously the money that they'll get, but what an incentive to say to sort of your grandchildren in years to come, I was part of that quadruple team. I was part of that. That must be, you know, in, in our day, we, we, we always talked about that. You know, win a final when you're when they go and win it because you can always say win a promotion because you can always say, Granddad, was you, did you play in that team? Oh, yeah, got promotion in that year. Yeah, there's my picture. So, um, that's my answer. I don't know if I've answered, but that's my answer, mate. Well, well, here's an easier one for you. Is this the best Manchester City? Well, in fact, is this the best team, football team, you've ever seen, Mark? Because that's if they win the quadruple, surely it is. Oh, I don't know, the 69-70 team, 69 final and that against Leicester, 1-0. Neil Young, that was a great team. Bell, Leaf, Summerbe. 
Rodney Marshall, then they played. You enjoyed, you enjoyed it when you went to watch them. We might not win the game in them days, but we, it was entertainment and it was good to go next and entertain because that's what you did when you went to Main Road and when all your family are there. You went for a good shout and a ball and you know, have a go at these players and sing the names and that. And uh, now it's changed now, especially with no fans being in because I'm experiencing it now when you've got a bit of momentum going and there's no when you've got momentum going when there's fans in your home fans as well, especially, they got behind you. So if you get a corner, they're all up clapping. You know, it fizzles out quite quickly when you when there's no fans to, to you know, if you get a corner and they, get, they cleared it and, you know, it's, uh, it's changed. that's changed. But um, just keep supporting them. That's what we do. When I remember being born, my mum said that when I came out of my mum's womb, that you're either blue or a red family. And uh, luckily we were blue. So that's when you're a City fan. When you're about ten seconds old, you've got no chat. You've got no chance to shout on it. You know your dad's when you're growing up said, "By the way, we're going to May Road because we're we're all blues and you're a blue." Okay, Dad, thanks. I'm a blue. That, that was it. Follow that, Jim. Well, <laughs> I, I'd like to say Mark nailed it when he just said they've got the best squad right now. I'd happily talk about the quadruple. I, I, I think you've got the best squad, and hand in hand, where you talk about the best team, I I, I don't think personally they're the best team. Right now, there's been individually best, better players, I think, in the few years that have passed. But it doesn't matter about best players at the moment. Uh, you know, you look at Leicester when they won the league. It, it, that wasn't the best team at, at all. But they it, collectively as a group and as a team, they beat, they beat everyone else. Up. And I think right now, with the group of players that Manchester City have and... The way they play, the way they take, they play without strikers. I don't, I don't actually know sometimes what system they play. It's just it's so fluid. And I think with the, the not leaking goals as well right now, um, uh, the, the squad rotation, the, the squad of players that they've got, uh, the uh, full squad, by the way, no, lack of injuries, uh, I think they've got a fantastic chance in white with the quadruple. Let's end on a happy note then like that, a positive note from uh, from Jim. Listen, thanks very much to uh, to David White, who obviously uh, something went wrong with his connection, probably his battery went or something. But uh, I thought David's contribution was very valued, particularly after what he's been through in the last uh, week or two, uh, and indeed earlier in his life. So thanks very much to David. Thanks very much to Mark Lillis, uh, to Jim Whitley. Uh, the better of the two Whitley brothers, in my opinion. <laughs> but but don't <laughs> tell Jeff that. Shh. <laughs> um, thanks very much, of course, to uh, charleslouis.co.uk, the sponsors of the podcast as well. And thanks to you for listening and, uh, and subscribing, etc. We'll do it all again next week. In the meantime, have a good week. And uh, remember, it's always great to be a blue.